thank you. So a warm welcome to everybody to our ISAP Connect event. Um, and it is just wonderful to invite everybody here today for this, this conversation with our esteemed colleagues. And what I'm going to ask if Hans and Carla, and, or Darla rather, and um, Colin would mind introducing themselves to us to, to begin. And we have quite a comprehensive conversation happening today. Um, um, and I think I just want everybody to get started now because I know you're dying to hear them, not me. So I might pass over to our esteemed colleagues, Hans and Darla and Colin, and we'll get started on our ISAC Connect event today. Uh, thank you, Fiona, and uh, thank you as well to Mark Fish, who I guess couldn't be here today for inviting myself and and uh, both Darla and Colin. Uh, the topic today is uh, what's the state of uh, comprehensive school physical activity programming? Um, CISPAP, CISPAP has been uh, around in the United States since uh, around 2008 when <clears throat> excuse me, when the, the National Association for Sport and Physical Education came out with its first uh, position statement. And since then, uh, it has exploded in the sense that uh, lots and lots of people have become interested, including researchers. And of course, Colin and Darla have been instrumental. Colin, uh, while he was at the uh, University of South Carolina, uh, put together a, a substantial research program. Uh, and Darla was actually one of the, the culprits, if you will, early, early on in the, in the early days of American CISPAP uh, by uh, contributing to setting up professional development uh, modules and programs for people interested in becoming a physical activity leader at the campus level. Um, other countries, I think, were a little bit ahead of, of the United States. Uh, the U.S. was a little later coming to the table, uh, Switzerland, Ireland, uh, other countries in Europe, uh, Germany as well, I think, had and Finland um, had started to look at whole of school approaches to promoting physical activity. And so it's it's fair to say that uh, what we call CISPAP in the U.S. has become a, a, a relatively global phenomenon. And I'm just pleased that Colin and Darla were willing to join us as well to uh, provide us, uh, shall we say, an update and, and their perspective on where we're at with, with uh, whole of school approaches to building physical activity uh, amongst young uh, children and youth. And so I will stop talking and uh, who would like to go first? Uh, Colin, Darla, wanna flip a coin? Colin, I think you should set the stage. All right, I saw you uh, pointing at me there. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, okay. Darla getting Darla us... gets to go first. <laughs> I think she's, she's ahead, pointing Darla. to me here. We'll, we'll go yeah. in the order we're presenting. Oh. Uh, okay. So uh, thanks so much for, for uh, the opportunity to present. Um, this is a, a, a thrilling opportunity for me. And um, my name is Colin Webster. I'm currently working at the University of Birmingham's campus in Dubai. And I've been here since uh, August, and uh, so still learning the ropes with my new role and responsibilities here. Um, continuing, as always, to, to try to progress the research, um, particularly around comprehensive school physical activity programs and looking for ways to um, really apply some of what I've learned about CSPAPs in the United States context to the Middle East region now, and particularly the United Arab Emirates, where I'm based. And so really excited about those opportunities. Um, and, and I'll go ahead and uh, pass it on over to Darla. And by the way, thank you to Hans for agreeing to moderate this and uh, to Mark for, for reaching out to me in the first place. And 
and to uh, ICEP uh, for putting on these, these incredible events. This is just such a nice contribution to our field. And hello everyone, I'm Darla Castelli and I'm at the University of Texas at Austin. Um, I've been there for uh, 11 years now um, and transitioned from the University of, of Illinois. Um, as Hans has suggested, it was I think it was 2007 where we had our first publication um, that dealt with physical activity, physical education teachers as physical activity leaders. Um, and so we've been wrestling with this topic for quite some time. Um, I'd like to thank everyone for the invitation to be here today and I look forward to sharing and I also look forward to the chat that we're going to have at the end of our conversation. Colin, did you want to present your slides? I can go ahead and screen share, I believe. Let's go ahead and get that going. Okay, um, I'm just gonna make sure I know how we're doing on time. All right, five past. Um, so I've titled my part of the webinar, uh, putting evidence to practice, implementing um, CSPAPs, and the proof is in the pudding, haha. -ha. <laughs> so we'll, we'll look more at what I mean by that. Um, as, as Hans suggested, there's, uh, there's actually a pretty long history as far as um, models or frameworks that have focused on the school environment as a health-promoting setting. Um, in our modern era, we can trace back to the coordinated school health approach in 1987 in the United States. Of course, there's also the World Health Organization's Health Promoting Schools Framework, which actually traces back to the 1980s, I think 86, actually. Um, but I've just referenced a more recent um, iteration of that from 2009 here. And then one of the most recent frameworks is the WISC model, the whole school, whole, school, whole community whole child model where you can see that the student, the child is at the center of the framework. And there are 10 components surrounding um, overall student health and wellness, well-being. One of the components is physical education and physical activity. Um, and throughout you know, our historical uh, look here at, at different approaches to health in schools, physical education, physical activity has been a thematic part of uh, the focus. And so um, what, what I'm really focusing on, what Darla will be focusing on is, is kind of that, that, um, that piece to this overarching um, approach to overall student wellness and, and health in the school environment's role in, in promoting that. Um, whole of school frameworks, um, this, these are specific to physical activity and physical education. So we're kind of getting a little narrower now. Um, as Hans mentioned, the National Association for Sport and Physical Education, or NASPE, in the United States in 2008 um, published a position statement that was titled Comprehensive School Physical Activity Programs and really laid out the, um, the, the framework, the, the, the different components, um, why they're important to uh, promoting physical activity and the different roles of each of those components in doing that. Um, and as Darla mentioned, really the, the first time I think that comprehensive school physical activity was, was actually published in those terms was the 2007 Jopard paper that she was a contributing author on with um, Aaron Beatley. And um, so that, you know, again, this has been um, the CSPAP framework or model has, has been in the literature actually for quite some time. 
And then more recently, uh, in 2013, in the United States, there was um, a seminal publication by the Institute of Medicine titled Educating the Student Body. And um, there was a big focus on the role of physical education and physical activity in the school environment. And the uh, terminology whole of school physical activity approach was really kind of forwarded in a big way through that document. Um, and then one of the most recent contributions has been um, in the UK, the Creative Active Schools Framework, which you see there on the left uh, hand side of the slide. Um, and that's, uh, that was created by a, a team effort uh, led by Andy Daly-Smith and colleagues um, published in 2020. Um, we won't have time in today's presentation to get into all of the nuts and bolts of each of these different approaches and frameworks. Uh, the real focus, as Hans said at the beginning, is really going to be on comprehensive school physical activity programs, or CSPAPs, which has been the leading example of a whole-of-school approach in the United States. There's also, aside from frameworks, a number of initiatives, um, and Hans mentioned some of these as well. Uh, there's whole-of-school physical activity initiatives in Canada and Ireland, Finland, the United States, Australia, and some other countries. Uh, you can read a lot about those in several different publications. Some examples there are at the bottom of the screen um, in, in the journals Children and Quest, and then in a recent uh, textbook that Russ Carson and I co-edited, uh, and to which Darla and, and Hans were both contributing authors as well. And um, that, that's a useful textbook because it consolidates the research um, on, on CSPAPs and also thinks about and, and provides some recommendations for translating that research into practical terms for practitioners. Um, and it also has a lot of good kind of um, anecdotes and case examples that the authors in, in that text provide to try to illustrate really what some of the theory and research means in, in practical terms. Um, but the two, uh, the chapter by uh, Jamie McMullen and then the Quest article um, by McMullen et al. as well are, are very useful to kind of look at the international things going on around whole of school approaches. Okay, so getting into the CSPAP framework um, specifically, as you can see on the left-hand side of the slide, there has been um, an evolution in terms of the graphical portrayals of what is a CSPAP. Um, and, and actually graphical portrayals mean a lot when you, when you think about um, what people are, are learning from uh, and interpreting about what is a CSPAP. And so um, I've referenced uh, a, a publication um, that we had back in 2020 in Kinesiology Review for this because the slide on the left is, is one that we created for that um, that that article borrowing from all of these different iterations that have been published in the past to illustrate what is a CSPAP. But you can see that, um, you know, one of the themes here is that invariably there have, um, except for that first graphic, there have been the five components that um, have really been the focus of what is a CSPAP. And um, you also see that often the 60 minutes piece as an outcome or the central focus of the CSPAP has been another theme. Um, the most recent iteration that I'm aware of um, has been the Centers for Disease Control's uh, graphic that you see there on the right, and um, physical education it continues to be really, um, you know, looked at as the cornerstone or foundation component. They put it there at the top of the framework, and then the other components are um, represented there to, to show that they can um, support physical education and uh, provide additional physical activity opportunities for children and adolescents. Um, but really, there are some 
parts of the messaging that have been lost in many of these graphics, some, some important suggestions or recommendations that um, have appeared at different points in the literature, but haven't been emphasized necessarily in a big enough way. And so we'll look at that a little bit too as we move forward. Just as a quick review for the five components of the CSPAT framework, of course, physical education, again, is the foundational or cornerstone component. It is primarily the educational contribution to the physical activity education of um, children and adolescents and um, consistent with most of what's written about uh, whole of school approaches and recommended internationally. Physical education is standards-based. It has a uh, focus on developing the whole child through physical, intellectual, and social and emotional development. Of course, in our COVID era, social and emotional development has really taken center stage in a lot of the educational and, and uh, health promotion literature, and has really made its way also into physical education um, literature and research recently. Uh, Assessment-driven sequential curriculum and opportunities, of course, for kids to be physically active during physical education lessons. These are kind of the the, um, the main elements that you often see suggested for what should be a quality physical education experience for kids. And as you go toward other components of the framework, we have physical activity during school, which can be recess, particularly in primary or elementary settings and, and middle school settings, classroom movement integration, sometimes referred to as classroom-based physical activity, um, which is just getting kids to be more physically active during their regular classroom time, during um, you know, while they learn other academic subjects in school, for instance, and um, physical activity drop-in opportunities, which may be more frequently found in uh, middle or high school settings, or sometimes called secondary settings. Um, and so we also have before and after school physical activity, and uh, the examples most often provided for this component of the framework are clubs where children and adolescents can be more physically active after school, um, intramurals before or after school. And then of course, active transportation has become a big focus because we know in many uh, parts of the United States and certainly also around the world, there, um, there tends to have been, there has been a trend for kids to be uh, less physically active um, on their way to and from school. And motorized transportation has, has really um, become the, the paramount, the, the biggest mode of transportation. And then staff involvement and family and community engagement um, are the last two components of the framework. They're both part of what we've uh, called in some of our um, published work, the implementation support system. These aren't physical activity opportunities per se, but they are the structures that need to be in place to support those opportunities. And so staff involvement can be the programming that we actually provide these could be activity opportunities or other health opportunities for staff, but the reason those one of the big reasons those opportunities is, are important is because um, they have been correlated in some research with the extent to which staff actually serve as physical activity promoters in the school environment. And so the more active and well staff feel, um, the more they also tend to be advocates for and actually engage in promotion behaviors with the children under their charge. Um, so staff wellness is part of this component, but also the support that we um, try to get classroom teachers and building administrators to really engage in um, is also part of this component. And then family and community engagement, um, actually really probably the least well investigated uh, component of the CSPAT framework to date. 
but certainly learning more every day. Uh, this can be active homework. It can be family events at school. And, uh, an example often uh, provided is where schools and community partners have facility joint use agreements. And then, um, you know, really just making sure that that uh, that external support system beyond the school environment is something that we capitalize on. So um, this has been uh, a, an interesting look at what what really is um, what does it mean to say that we have a CSPAP in place, and what are the functions of the CSPAP? Why you know why do we have one? And um, many of the ideas represented here have been written about in previous publications, but we wanted to really consolidate some of those ideas and build on them. So what we did is we, we constructed what we called an illustrative supplement to the CSPAP graphics, the most recent one in particular from the CDC that we looked at. Um, and we can see here that physical education, again, is, is at the center. This is the cornerstone of the framework. Um, but we also have, have, you know, kind of delineated where we have activity opportunities and then that implementation support system at the bottom of the framework to, to um, really leverage those kinds of opportunities. We've also tried to um, clarify that physical education really can serve multiple functions. It can, it can lead to education for physical activity and really in many ways is unique in doing that. Um, and that's the idea that kids develop the knowledge and skills and disposition to be physically active for life through good physical education programming. But then also it contributes to education through physical activity, which is you know, providing additional physical activity opportunities where kids can um, continue to learn and practice those, the knowledge and skills that they're learning through physical education lessons. Um, and, and also physical activity during school and physical activity before and after school contributes to education through physical activity primarily, as opposed to education for physical activity, but certainly those activity opportunities at recess and during regular classroom time, for instance, or before and after school can also serve to enhance what we want to teach kids in physical education, because we can design classroom-based physical activity experiences and recess experiences and so forth in a purposive way to really try to leverage what we're trying to teach kids in physical education. It's almost like an extended curriculum time for PE short of having the physical education specialist leading all of those additional or supplemental opportunities. But oftentimes, you know, when we look at the literature, the, the goal of these supplemental activity opportunities is strictly to increase the number of physical activity minutes that kids get, and not so much to necessarily leverage or strengthen or reinforce what we're trying to achieve in physical education. And I think that may be one of the reasons why sometimes physical educators um, tend to resist and not necessarily, um, you know, see uh, SPAPs as consistent with what they're really trying to do in school programs. Um, so this was this was just, uh, you know, some some different thoughts that we put together to hopefully clarify uh, and what what CSPAPs can be, how they can contribute to different kinds of goals in the school environment and how they can be more flexible and not necessarily always have to include five full components. Um, and to really, you know, get into some of the more details there, I encourage um, people to, to go to that paper because there, there are a lot of um, things that we try to include in that. 
Also, we have uh, some implementation frameworks that are worth looking at. Um, the framework on the left by Carson and colleagues was published in 2014, and it really focuses on the internal support system or those factors that we need to consider that can have an influence on the physical activity opportunities and ultimate physical activity engagement of children and adolescents within the school context. Um, and then the graphic on the right tends to look a little broader outside of the school to, to ask the question of, okay, beyond what we have in terms of resources within the school, what else can we focus on to leverage what's going on in the school and hopefully lend a hand to teachers and staff and, um, and, and you know, give them a little bit more support because sometimes schools just may not have the capacity on their own to really implement a CSPAP or at least get things started um, without that external support. So um, the graphic on the right is looking at three external support mechanisms in particular, CBPR is community-based participatory research, COP is communities of practice, and then SL is student learning. And a lot of that really derives from the university environment. And of course, one question that's important to look at is, well, if a school isn't positioned in close proximity to a university or college where they have these kinds of resources to provide to schools, can we still take advantage of a school or a university environment? And so we did a little bit of research on that. And, and you know, the research that we've done has, has shown that it can actually be viable um, as a strategy to provide university support through distance learning alternatives. And of course, we've seen that to be now um, a much more prevalent uh, phenomenon in our COVID era. And, and that really deserves or warrants, I think, a great deal more research moving forward. Um, there have been many implementation efforts, um, and uh, there have been two systematic reviews that have tried to synthesize those efforts. Um, one that was published in 2015 also included the meta-analysis, and then the most recent one in 2021 was a systematic review that really tried to you know, kind of look at all of the different kinds of approaches that have been used that fall under the umbrella of CSPAP, and that could be like a PE plus one component, PE plus two, and so forth. Um, but overall, I've, in, in my review of those reviews, it looks like there were 41 unique studies that were included up to 2018. Um, almost all of the studies included some kind of a PE component. There has been minimal emphasis overall on academic outcomes when we look at multi-component efforts that can fall under our CSPAP umbrella. Um, and much more emphasis on health out outcomes, including physical activity participation. There's an inverse relationship between the number of studies and the number of components included. Um, so, you know, most studies are looking at, you know, PE plus one, PE plus two, and as you go to PE plus three, PE plus four, which would be a full five component CSPAP, um, there's been very, very few um, studies that, that have really done interventions where, where people have tried to, to test that. Overall, um, from the meta-analysis done in 2015, the increase in total daily physical activity, unfortunately, was negligible. And uh, one of the reasons for that could be the compensatory effect that, that physical activity opportunities sometimes have where you, you know, might provide more activity opportunities during regular classroom time, and kids then are more physically active during that period of the day, but at recess, then they may be less active as a result. So, trying to really understand how to get kids that full 60 minutes uh, physical activity goal each day or beyond has been a struggle. The implementation prevalence in the United States has been very low, as you can see in this slide. Um, the first study that I know of that, that took a national 
uh, data from a national sample in the U.S. showed uh, you can see you know only six percent of high schools included some kind of a CSPAP. Although it's important to keep in mind with both of these studies that uh, CSPAP was defined or conceptualized in the surveys that were administered um, as a full five component CSPAP. And that's important to think about because actually um, we did a study recently where we surveyed a national sample of physical education teachers and we were a little more flexible in our definition of what is a CSPAP. We decided to identify CSPAPs as where the schools were providing opportunities through any variety or combination of program components. So any of the five CSPAP components for all students at the school to both get the education they need to be physically active for life, which would be the goal of a physical education program in many cases, and also to meet that 60-minute goal. And when we defined a CSPAP that way, um, we actually found that physical education teachers felt that they, many of the PE teachers felt that they did have a CSPAP at their school. So how we look at what is a CSPAP and conceptualize that really matters, of course, to what we're learning about its prevalence. And then in other countries, um, there's some recent research uh, in the European Journal of uh, Public Health, where we can see that out of 28 countries um, in Europe, there were, um, again, up to 2018 here, uh, we can see that um, PE is, again, a big part of the school curriculum in many countries, but its delivery varies considerably, similar to the United States, and um, actually active school travel was fairly common, active school breaks was fairly common, um, it's like recess, for instance, and then active breaks during classroom lessons is also fairly common, but multi-component initiatives, um, you know, there's a few examples that were provided in this report, but uh, the full list of what those might be doesn't seem to be published anywhere that I know of. And then also in terms of these multi-component initiatives, their reach, their efficacy, their scale, their sustainability also are largely unknown. So how do we move past proof of concept, right? So I would suggest build the evidence in terms of case studies. That would be one important thing to do so that we understand how, um, how different CSPAPs are, are built in different environments with different resources and different contexts, what the nuances and idiosyncrasies are and so forth. Um, stop doing what doesn't work, right? We often see interventions that replicate many of the same approaches, which obviously have been relatively ineffective over time. We need to think out of the box more. We need to be a little more creative. And we need to, need to measure outcomes that matter more to school professionals as well. So quickly, um, there was a case study that was done um, by Kate Egan. Um, she was a former doctoral student of mine. This was part of her dissertation study. Uh, and it was, it, was a, it was a middle school in Georgia, and even though the school had lots of internal supports and there was funding to get the university team to really help with the implementation and so forth, ultimately the program implementation was not sustainable. There, as soon as the funding ran out, uh, there just hadn't been enough planning around sustainability. There really um, hadn't been any formal needs assessment conducted, and really a lack of communication ultimately between the university research team and the school. It just got to be unrealistic, un unwieldy in many ways. And, and it was really seen as kind of a best case scenario at the outset. This was a school that was so well resourced, it seemed like it would be a great way to prove the concept of a CSPAP. And ultimately, the sustainability which wasn't there. And that's important to think about. Some strategies that, again, if we're not going to just keep doing the same things over and over, we might try some new ideas. So a progression framework for classroom movement integration. Um, principal trainings haven't really been a major focus of a lot of the research. What would those look like and how would we handle that? Increasing parent 
involvement based on recent research and leveraging lessons learned from COVID. This is the movement integration um, framework that, that looks at integrating movement opportunities during regular classroom time as a progression for teachers so that we understand if someone's going to learn to do something new and if they're not really used to implementing classroom-based physical activity, they need to start in a small way. They need to, we need to understand what that would look like for certain teachers who have less experience with it, who may be kind of turned off by the idea of getting kids physically active during regular classroom time and building eventually to where we're actually doing some of what the recommendations have mainly focused on, which is things like active lessons which can actually be quite difficult and challenging to do without a lot of practice and support and the knowledge behind how to do it. Um, ultimately, again, in the middle circle there, we're really looking at integrating physical education content with physical activity opportunities in the classroom setting. And that would be kind of that level four most difficult thing to do, never something we would ask a classroom teacher to do who hasn't had a lot of experience with it. Uh, Colin, principles. A, uh, Colin, if I can in interrupt just for a split second, just yes. want to uh, make sure Darla gets her opportunity as well. And yeah, I'm going to go ahead and just quickly go right so, through this here. Thanks, Hans. Thanks. Yep. So we, there's some research on principles, and um, this is this is kind of looking at what their role would be in a CSPAP. Again, not a lot of focus in the research on that. And these are the references that I would point people to to get an idea of where things are going in that um, research direction. And then parents as well. Again, family and community engagement has been um, an understudied area of CSPAPs. And so this is where we really wanna make sure we understand what it takes to get parents on board. And so we did some research in that area as well. And of course, I know that these slides will be available at a later point, so I can go ahead and skip on forward. And finally, the COVID era. Again, considerations for what do we look for? What are the factors that we need to consider if we're going to have to do physical education and physical activity promotion through an online environment or a virtual remote learning environment? And so I would point people to the work that we've done in that area um, to help try to clarify some of those factors. Okay, and then what do classroom, what do people care about in schools? I think a lot of things that we're not necessarily focusing on as for, as far as outcomes in CSPAP research. Almost always we focus on physical activity minutes as the outcome, and rarely do you see full you know, uh, multi-component efforts and interventions where some of these other outcomes that may be really important to school professionals are the focus of those research studies. So that's something we also need to be thinking about. And I'll just end with this slide. Um, priority research, understand what it takes to quote unquote, put CSPAPs into routine practice. Okay, Darla, sorry, I took a couple of your minutes there. No problem. It was an excellent overview. Thank you so much, Colin, um, for giving us that historical perspective on, uh, you know, how the evolution of the models, how it has changed over time, and then certainly some of your recommendations uh, for implementation. I appreciate that. You're very welcome. And I got to be able to stop the share here. And I think you should have the controls to do your share, right? I do. Thank you. And, and while the slides are being switched, I want to encourage those in, in attendance to uh, pop some uh, questions in the, uh, the chat box that's up and running as well. So don't, don't be bashful, folks. Okay, you're amongst friends. So. For sure. And everyone can see my slides. Yes, we're good? Yes. Okay, yes. awesome. Thank you so much. Um, I, I tackled this a little bit different than Colin did, um, but I think it's going to work out beautifully um, the way that he has set the stage. Uh, I tackled this as a personal journey over the last 10 years. So when I 
when I see Colin's model, then how do I respond as a pedagogue and how do I respond as a teacher educator and an educational researcher? What does that, what does that mean for me? And so I tackled it from that perspective. So I have three different lenses that I'm going to look through and I'm going to share with you um, the thought process and how I curriculum mapped um, some of these ideas to then provide learning opportunities for individuals who are going to become teachers and teacher educators. Uh, I did have an opportunity to participate in the um, Institute of uh, Medicine, um, educating the student body. Uh, this was one of the first times that I had really, really dove into uh, the, the body of literature. Um, the 13 of us um, probably read over a thousand articles um, over a one year period of time um, to then ultimately make these recommendations as Colin has already alluded to. The final kind of executive summary takeaway bullets was this notion of taking a, a whole of school approach that at least more than 50% of the moderate to vigorous physical activity should take place during the school day. And I'll show you a model by Michael Beatley in a moment. Um, physical education should be a core subject matter, um, which for some of you it already is. For us in the United States, it is not. Um, there's lots of tensions between the subject matters and that there should be designated structured and unstructured time, as Colin alluded to in the model, is that you know, there's opportunities for recess, which is student driven, and they have choice, uh, but there's also opportunities where it's highly structured and, and, and linked to educational outcomes. And that maybe we want to rethink the school day and how we go about our business. And so one thing to think about is what Michael Beats actually put in a publication here um, in 2012, thus my reference to how I've thought about things over the last 10 years um, is how can we have a child wake up in the morning and think through on a weekday where, what are all the opportunities where they can engage in physical activity, whether again, structured, educationally formatted or unstructured. And where can we allow them to develop these healthy habits of engagement and really embody this notion of, of physical literacy and the notion of um, being physically active? What does that mean to them? On my journey, I had to think about what does this mean for me when I am housed at the University of Texas at Austin in the state of Texas? And what are some critical issues and uh, things that are contextually grounded here that I could grab onto to then convince others that uh, CSPAP or whole of school approaches were the way to go. Number one, um, I had a jargon issue because as Colin had suggested in 1986, there was coordinated school health was already mandated here in Texas. So I was saying CSPAP, I was saying whole of school approach, but yet we had these tensions that the political mandate here in the state of Texas was coordinated school health. So we immediately had to get over these terminology issues, the jargon issues, and say, you know what, we're, we're in essence, the spirit of what we mean is the same thing. We want healthier children. We want children active. We want them to be motorically competent. And we also want to, there are points of pride in Texas, for sure, but there are also points of embarrassment here. And one of them being that children's socioeconomic health disparities, we rank rank last in the United States. We don't allocate enough resources. And within that allocation, um, I think we need to think differently. And how I am, I'm going to ask us to think differently is through this research continuum. And in this research continuum, 
we could think within our own discipline, what are experiences that we could have for those who are becoming teachers within our discipline and then within our departments or schools or colleges that we work. So in a department of kinesiology and health education, it made sense that I was collaborating with Bill Cole, who is in public health, who is also in our department. It made sense that at Illinois, I was collaborating with Chuck Hillman, who uh, is a neuroscientist and a psychophysiologist. And how best can we provide these opportunities what knowledge do they have and expertise that they can bring to the table? But this is bi-directional in nature. What can I teach them about child development, the number of trials, what's appropriate engagement, um, the desired outcomes and what that structure actually looks like? And so I could ground the work in this notion of here are our standards, here are our essential components, and I could inform public health in that process. And then I also think of this notion of transdisciplinary, and I think of how do new models emerge when we're not only thinking, we're collaborating together, we're not only creating, thinking across the disciplines, but there is this Venn diagram overlap in that sweet spot where we can actually create new pedagogical models that's informed by all of the research collectively. And I'm going to give you one example of each one of those before I get into the teacher um, education perspective. So one example of that is actually is what's the neuroscience of pedagogy? So why aren't we thinking through how physical activity ultimately can contribute to cognitive health as well as physical health and that state of being? And so we have, you know, the neuroscience of marketing and the neuroscience of this. Why is it that we aren't continuing to question that? And why can't we draw on that expertise to then say, here's the ideal dose. How can we help children understand what is moderate to vigorous physical activity engagement versus light activity versus sedentary behaviors. So I took this lens then about what are all the factors in my own local community that might contribute to this notion of the state of well-being. So in addition to all of the physical education outcomes that we wanted our teacher, uh, our, our pre-service teachers and practicing teachers to address, we also wanted them to think more broadly. And I'll show you how we, how we did that in, in a moment. But the one example is, you know, um, intradisciplinary. And so the notion being across collaborating within my department, the next one is across disciplines. And then the last one here is how do we get to this notion of transdisciplinary? We have a 10 year, $10 million funded project for, called Whole Communities, Whole Health. And it is a community-based project where we are using community participatory research. Thank you, Colin, once again, um, for highlighting that as our implementation strategy. Our focal point here is to bring together the expertise of multiple um, individuals across the university to then reach out to the community to design new models of delivery where ultimately children can thrive and we can shift their state of well-being to one where they are maximizing their capacity. Um, our underlying goal here is to bring science home to help children thrive. And you can see that on the primary team of principal investigators, I am the only pedagogy specialist. So we are drawing on expertise from multiple disciplines. And um, ultimately, I, 
you know, my role is this connectivity with schools and in our community-based participatory engagement is ultimately in that context, how is it do we want to bring about um, an opportunity to enhance health? And we are now all the way to the last portion of this model. Um, our, our first year, we really focused on the context. The second year, um, we focused on building these partnerships um, and sharing of resources, professional development out in schools. Now we're into the, we've collected a whole bunch of data, we're feeding it back to the community, and we're looking at what our outcomes might mean for new models and new approaches. Not quite there, but we're, we're on the verge. We have a demonstration community, uh, which is predominantly Latinx, and um, not, uh, in the southeast corridor of Austin, um, by the airport, by the racetrack, etc. We chose them um, because in that particular community, there was a lack of resources and they are an unincorporated community, which means they have no city government to rely on. And an initial survey in um, 2018, which actually wasn't published until just this year, uh, one of the things that we discovered were most of the households didn't have the internet connectivity. So before pre-pandemic, we actually created uh, physical education toolkits and it was nothing more than a sling bag with juggling scarves, um, an inflatable ball and a Frisbee and a jump rope. And the toolkits went home as a way for us to start to build these relationships with the community, engage parents, and ultimately address the concerns that actually came forward in focus grouping that we had done, which were, we want our children to have better lives. We are very concerned about the health of our children. We have food insecurity issues, safety, environmental hazards that we're all dealing with simultaneously. And we want the best for our children. We're not sure how to go about and do that. Something else that was also a smaller piece, and this was actually my uh, pilot study, which we now have um, funded by NSF, so we're across multiple schools, um, is we were teaching, we were teaching children um, ages 9, 10, and 11, so fourth and fifth grade uh, at two elementary schools, how how, what was, what was the meaning of intensity, right? Um, how did they know that it was actually moderate to vigorous in nature versus something that was not? So think about when you say the word G-O to a five or six-year-old, they're on the move instantaneously. What we're trying to do is refine this notion of it's like teaching pacing and it's, it's teaching, you know, the notion of what, was that really moderate to vigorous or wasn't it um, health enhancing? We utilize a green, yellow, red traffic light strategy. This is a check-in box. They have their own ID badge. They badge in, and then they do their own surveillance within the school. Their surveillance um, is based upon, again, this philosophy of an educational platform where they're playing a game. And in playing that game, the more physical activity that a class has in an aggregate form. They travel across the United States. Here you actually see fourth graders traveling across Texas because they study Texas history. And um, the fifth graders do US history. So they travel um, all the way from the East Coast to the West Coast. So they're coming to an understanding we of pace. They're coming to an understanding of moderate to vigorous. 
how leisure time and what they do outside of school could actually contribute to their overall um, and uh, total duration and engagement in physical activity, how it has merit in relation to their well-being, and how they are citizen scientists because they're collecting and interpreting their own data on their journey. So this took um, transdisciplinary thinking, we had to engage the community. They stepped up and said, this is the teacher said, it has to be grounded in all of the educational standards or we will not do CSPAP. Um, if, if it's not going to do better on academic testing or contribute to those academic outcomes in any way, um, then ultimately, uh, then ultimately, then uh, it's, it's a, it's a non-starter for us. All right, so what does this all mean for this notion of achieving our outcomes in physical education and those essential components? And ultimately, I, I think we are preparing teachers through these different lenses. And initially, I was thinking about, you know, classroom management, and I was thinking about assessment, and I was thinking about um, clear and effective communication and how to present a task. And then I, my lens really shifted to this notion of what resources do we have available? What empirical evidence do we have available to then get these essential components, our candidates for teaching to understand and embrace these essential components in a way that they have implementation strategies, that they are ready to act um, once they get into uh, a school setting and under full employment. So if we think about those essential components, um, and, and Hans and I actually published a paper together on the policy portion of all of this, we do have um, working evidence of each one of these components. The research is growing exponentially. And what was super exciting is the recent article that Greg Welk and Tim Bruchot and um, uh, Jamie McMullen and I did together is each one of us had a randomized control trial um, in Jamie's case, it was actually, she described the active schools flag um, in Ireland and uh, Greg had a randomized control trial, Tim and I did. And we discussed that each one of those implementations and the experiments were grounded in a whole of school approach and training and preparing teachers to take on a role uh, where ultimately they were enhancers they were engagers and um, they were community, they were multi-component facilitators. So let's get to the nuts and bolts about how I thought through this from a teacher education standpoint. So we want to produce teachers and whether disciplinary, physical education, K through 12 certified, or a classroom generalist who I commonly work with EC6, which is K through sixth grade. Um, in those certification programs, I wanted teachers who promoted environments that were health enhancing, um, who understood the notion of multi-component and how to facilitate that process and how to engage the community and family because you know they, they're in schools for six hours a day, but then there's certainly um, home time, leisure time, weekend, et cetera. And so how can they facilitate that? In your left-hand column here, we took the, co the competency, we designed a learning activity, 
And then ultimately we curriculum mapped it back to a certain component. Did things have to go and we had to get rid of in our curriculum? Absolutely, we had to do that. But this was the thought process of now we need to make those difficult decisions and prioritize what skills that we actually want our um, candidates to have. We wanted them to have this understanding of they're part of something bigger, that we assessment is not a dirty word, is that assessment can be utilized for both advocacy and for learning and, and, and surveillance simultaneously, and that movement should be integrated across the curriculum. So we identified an hour space where they could have a, a, a written assignment to follow through um, on the planning and preparation. And then we also had a field placement. We currently have a field placement um, or some sort of, um, you know, during student teaching seminar, um, they have this experience. So we mapped each one of these on here. We've prioritized some things that you can see where maybe you wouldn't prioritize. Again, this is contextually grounded within the needs that we have in Texas. It may not be appropriate for where you are. Um, we wanted them to be able to design uh, evidence-based physical education programs, but we wanted them to think differently. The pre-seed proceed model is commonly a public health approach to designing physical activity programs. So we wanted them to think about enabling factors. We wanted them to think about reinforcing factors and predisposing factors. Ultimately, before you make a lesson uh, and you're going out to one particular school, you have to go to the website, you have to um, look at the demographics, you have to know your, the place in the curriculum and seek to understand the curriculum. Um, you could do a survey of the students before you went out and you did your lesson. But we wanted to look at those factors that were also influential there. And we mapped that into our curriculum. And then the last thing um, that I wanted to point out is, you know, Colin really emphasized this notion of it's important for us to discover what is best practice for engaging with the community and engaging in the parents. And what we've done here is through some of that whole community's whole health work uh, is we actually have um, mapped some assignments on here where We've developed data collection methodology and undergraduates are helping with that surveillance of physical activity and the monitoring of that physical activity. And so they're, they're getting right um, into that data collection as well. We've also thought differently about who we want in our program. And um, we want individuals who are conscientious and caring, open-minded to diversity, equity, and inclusion um, perspective. And that might be a little bit different from um, the types of individuals who we wanted previously. We wanted them to have a willingness to think beyond um, uh, the pedagogy of delivering a team sport or a sport ed model. We wanted them to know that, but we also um, had higher expectations um, and thought a little differently about the candidates who we wanted to bring in. So again, what we did was we took these three things, prioritized them, curriculum mapped them through. These are skills that we want our um, teacher candidates uh, to be able to do. We simultaneously provided professional development for the sites um, that we are placing our students at. And again, it's a work in progress. And so um, I, I can't really tell you how effective um, some of these strategies have been. Um, we 
just got it rolling. And then COVID, we couldn't go out into the communities and they were only um, teaching via Zoom. And now we're back out in the community, thankfully. Um, so I don't have a lot of effectiveness or efficacy data with regards to the implementation of these things but it is a work in progress. And I look forward to um, you continuing to join me on our journey um, and seeing if this is effective or not. And I'd love to hear what your questions or the ideas that you have um, and are currently working through. Thank you. Well, but Darla, uh, thank you so much for your wonderful presentation as well. Um, I, I would have to say that uh, this is sort of like being back on a university promotion and tenure committee where you come to read the amazing work that's being done by, uh, by people. And of course, this is just close to home. Uh, but it's clear that both Colin and Darla have dedicated uh, their energies to um, ensuring that uh, the, the quality of what kids experience in terms of physical activity uh, is ensured. Uh, so we, we've had a veritable influx of questions on the chat box. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm teasing a little bit, but let, let, let me just uh, throw a couple of questions at the, uh, the two speakers and hopefully some other folks uh, will, will be able to, uh, to join the conversation as well. Uh, so a, a question, uh, I, I think it's fair to say uh, given all the efforts since, let's say, 2007, 2008, that much of the effort has focused on primary schools. Um, why, why do you think uh, post-primary schools have been sort of left out or left behind? Um, so who wants to go first? You know, I, Hans, we, we actually spoke to multiple principals invited, um, you know, uh, we, we took Colin's challenge to heart and invited principals to all of the professional developments that, that we offered. And it was actually the elementary school principals who took us up on that offer. And they would come down and check on us in the gym. They would, if it was a Zoom professional development, they would join us on Zoom. They would ask lots of questions. And um, I, I don't know if it comes from the top or not, but it feels like the perspective of a, a secondary um, administrator is more of, well, you know, they participate in sport already. Um, we already offer all of these things across our campus. Why would we need to take a comprehensive approach? Um, so I, I'm going to echo what Colin has already said. I think there needs to be some education there for the secondary administrators. Um, and, but we need to provide an example and be prepared um, um, to do that. And, and I know that you, know, you and Jamie have actually done some of that work um, on the secondary level. Um, Colin, did you want to add anything to that? Um, I, I, I don't know if this bears out in the evidence, but I would suspect that the higher up in grade level you go, the more the focus becomes um, academic performance and, and testing and accountability and, um, you know, career pathways and so forth. And often the link between a physically active school environment and those particular academic outcomes is lost on administrators, but teachers as well, and, and parents and other people that we're looking to um, be supporters in our implementation and sustainability of these kinds of initiatives. And I would say, um, 
you know, I, I've, I've found that I think there's, there tends to be more resistance anecdotally for me at the secondary, you know, middle and high school levels among physical education teachers than there are, um, than, the, than you get really in the elementary level with, with uh, PE teachers. And again, I think some of that in the United States anyway has to do with the role conflict that we sometimes see with, um, you know, athletic coaching, interscholastic sports, and then the role of what you're doing in physical education and how that might play out into an expanded role to promote physical activity in the whole school environment. Um, I think that's a factor that, that hasn't been as well explored in the CSPAP literature, but probably is one that we, we can um, identify. Well, and, and to make matters worse, the, the, the high school uh, principal and teachers would argue that, as, as you said, Darla, I think, is that there is already an opportunity for kids to be active uh, through athletics, but it tends to be rather exclusionary because only, only the good ones get to play. And so uh, thank you. Thank you for your response. There is a question. Uh, on, on the chat box from Kain van Leuten, um, referring to the efforts to, uh, to reduce the amount of smoking that takes place. Uh, but then later on, it says, I like the perspective where you want a generation of children to meet the guidelines. Would it be possible to shape the environment in and around the school in such a way that children meet the daily MVPA guidelines? And what would, uh, what would that potential guide them toward a physically active lifestyle, as in lifelong physical activity. So perhaps that's something that you can you can uh, try to, to speak to. Uh, the city of Austin is a, a no smoking public place. Um, and I, I do think in general within the city limits, they do an excellent job of bike paths, uh, walking paths, green space is integrated right into the urban space. The minute that you get to Del Valley, which again, the airport sits on the edge of the urban portion of the city, is all of that is gone. It is now, there's, there's um, the roads are narrow. It becomes uh, rural very quickly, farmland. Um, there is no grocery store out there. Uh, there is no biking or walking to school because it isn't, it isn't an opportunity. And so for Del Valley, our demonstration community, um, it, it's a matter of resources and, and the lack of in infrastructure that's actually there. And the nasty little part on Austin's uh, behalf is they often annex areas that they want and need and take the tax dollars and pull the tax dollars back into Austin. So it goes into the green space in Austin, even though it's territorially within Del Valley. Um, so uh, yeah, that's a tough one to answer because there's a lot of moving parts there and it's deeply rooted and it's system um, and there's lots of inequities that exist uh, just outside Austin proper. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I think that's the whole reason why we see social ecological, you know, multi-systems kinds of frameworks being applied to these whole school approaches, because it's clearly uh, takes a, a village to help one child become more physically active. It, it's not a one person job and it's also not a one size fits all solution. It, it is so complex. If, if it weren't, we wouldn't have spent the last few decades, um, you know, trying and trying and often actually failing at our efforts. 
Thank you. Thank you. Um, there's a there's a comment slash question uh, from Manuel Alejandro Bayaro Bacci um, asking for a bibliography and citation to the community based participatory engagement. Uh, he would love to receive that. And I think that's a, a prompt for uh, Darla. Uh, perhaps that can be provided uh, through through the ISAP leadership and again be funneled to uh, the website, perhaps. Um, well, uh, Fiona, are we going an hour or hour and a half? I, I thought it was an hour and a half. We're going at, it's it's an hour. It's an hour. An hour. Typically, okay. yeah. Well, typically, it's an hour. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I was afraid of that. <laughs> uh, many, many more questions. Can, can I can I squeeze one more question in? Yeah, please do. Please do. Yeah. Um, this this is for for both uh, Colin and Darla. Um, we we we've been playing with how to help uh, new major uh, new uh, teachers or prospective teachers to uh, to start uh, thinking differently about what they do in schools. Um, what, what do you think is, is the difficulty or, or how do we break conceptions of what physical education is um, with conceptions of PE, as they say, that are so entrenched amongst uh, physical education majors or prospective teachers? Uh, how, what, what have you found seems, seems to work to try and break down those perspectives? I know Darla spoke briefly at the end about, you know, who do you want in your program, which I, I sort of thought, well, uh, given the teacher shortages uh, that we're dealing with, that might be tricky. Uh, so I, I would love to hear because we, we have students like probably most PEAT programs in the US where there is a pretty entrenched uh, perspective of this is what physical education is. And so. You know, so one of the things that uh, we've been dabbling in, and I, I, again, I have um, <clears throat> nothing more than anecdotal evidence here. Um, I teach sport pedagogy to all of the pre-med majors. Okay, so I take our discipline to them and I say, this is what physical education actually should be, what you should expect. And when you are counseling your patients, clients, um, when you become a physical therapist, uh, this is what you should have parentally as a demand, as a professional, as a demand of the school for quality physical education. And this is what a whole of school approach actually looks like. It is a tough first couple of days in that class because they're like, why do I have to take this? I don't teach. I'm not going to be a coach. I don't get it. Why am I here? And then I said, you know, pull out a card, teach somebody a card game, lean over, teach somebody how to tie their shoes. Okay, there you go. It's about effective oral communication. Now, now that we broke that um, kind of stereotype, let's get down and dirty and let's really talk about um, what you need to know. What is quality physical education? I don't know. Does it work? I don't know. I'm hoping I'm creating a generation of pre-medical professionals who have an understanding and an expectation of what quality physical education is. Thank you, Darwin. Colin, the last word is yours. <laughs> oh, wow. No pressure, huh? Well, I agree with everything Darla said. And I think, I mean, certainly the idea of um, approaching pre-service teacher education a little bit differently, more in a blended and mixed way where we have uh, pre-service classroom teachers, pre-service physical education teachers, other pre-service school professionals, people who are 
ultimately going to be those who we call upon in a school environment um, and in the community to work together and collaborate to implement and sustain whole school approaches to promote physical activity. We need to be starting that in a collaborative way, in a collaborative capacity at the pre-service level, for sure. I think that's one important change. Um, and that just socializes people from the beginning of their programs into the idea that it's a collaborative community and that different people play important roles and to recognize what those roles are and to take advantage of those the best way that we can. I think early field experiences and all student teaching, you know, any, any practicum that's done um, for our uh, pre-service teachers, whether it's a classroom teacher or a physical educator, those need to be um, focused on the expanded roles that we have now in, in the school environment. It, it needs to move beyond strictly teaching a physical education lesson and what that entails. It's still important. It's as important if now, if not more than ever. Um, but we also know that um, we, we, we're asking people to do more than to teach physical education lessons and need to understand a little bit more about advocacy and about collaboration. And there's another set of skills that go into being a physical activity leader in the school environment. Um, I think Darla hit one of the nails on the head earlier when she talked about, you know, really focusing on trying to recruit candidates that meet certain profile characteristics. We mentioned that in an earlier publication based on what recommendations um, have been published for how to prepare future physical education teachers for new expanded roles in schools. Um, and then really, of course, focusing on the school environment itself. You know, if, if a, a candidate goes out to observe or work with uh, school professionals and in that environment, they're seeing nothing but the same old you know, uh, practices, um, there's that washed out effect that we have to be so careful of. And it happens uh, very early and it's really hard to overcome. So we, no matter what strides we make in, in teacher education at the pre-service level, I think we'll always be hamstrung um, with our efforts until we actually see real change at the school level. Thanks, Colin. Um, unfortunately, we're, we're officially over time. Uh, but perhaps Fiona would like to uh, close up shop for today's uh, webinar. And I want to first thank uh, Colin and Darla again for, for their willingness to, uh, to prepare for these presentations and, and share with us some insight as to what, what work they've been involved in and, and uh, how complex the process is of trying to improve the opportunities for kids to be active. Fiona, the, uh, the last word is yours. The last word is mine. So thank you so much, Hans, um, our ISEP fellow, for leading this. I think it's just a different formula today, really special. What was powerful was the, the potency of the research and the fact that we're acknowledging the complexity of what we're trying to deal with here as a profession and that it is research-driven, which is key for me. The words that jumped for me were how collaborative it was in terms of disciplinary collaboration and people um, and the fact that it was an ecosystem uh, approach, uh, a systemic approach. If you look at Theory U um, by Sharma, have a little look at that and just see uh, what he take or his take rather on, on how this all works. So Hans, first of all, thank you to you. Fabulous. Really, really lovely, really nice. And again, people can listen back. We've ignited a conversation, I think, and that's going to continue. Thank you to Darla as well. And thank you as well to Colin from different parts of the world. It's really, really been special. If you want to listen back, Risto is on the call here and he leads this fantastic podcast series. So this will be on that if you want to listen back and pause and write notes. And that's playing with research in health and physical education. That's also available on the ISF YouTube. Um, and our next ISF Connect will be on the last Friday in April and that's the 29th of April. So this is a year where we're celebrating 60 years of ISF. Um, ISF Connect is part of that celebration. 
And so please try and stay as connected as you can to us through these sessions. And importantly, in our World Congress, um, which is going to be happening in June in Gold Coast. So it's going to be exciting for anybody who can make that in person or even um, to make that online. Thank you, Cassandra, for your patience. You are absolutely deranged with tiredness. We apologise yet again. Um, and I, I finish every one of these by apologising to you. Um, so you can get your own back on us when we go over to Gold Coast. That's all I'm saying. So thank you to everybody. Stay safe, stay well. And thank you to all the ISF board members that attended today as well, Uva and Aria, etc. So thank you. Take care, everybody.